Hello, and welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Sotelo Esquire and Evan Ginsberg. And tonight we have a very special guest, uh, part of the, the uh, Witness Exchange program that we have going on with podcasts. It's uh, my good friend, or at least I can call him my good friend now, all the way from Tampa Bay, Benjamin Benny Scala from the uh, Dan and Benny Show. Um, uh, uh, welcome to this evening's uh, Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast podcast. And uh, it's thank an you for being pleasure to be here. And to quote the great Pedro Morales, "I'm ready for any kind of action." Any kind of action. So um, uh, Evans is going to be on for a a a short while with us uh, with us tonight because we're going to do a very special. I think podcast something a little different benny and i want to talk baseball and i know it's not uh, uh evan's top of mind subject so we're going to talk a little bit about the aew uh pay-per-view maybe any other um big wrestling issues and topics that are off the top of your head and then uh we'll we'll move on to to a mostly baseball based discussion tonight so uh what did you get a chance to watch the pay-per-view evan AEW, yes. um, just the prelims. So, what did you have to say about uh, about those matches? The uh, the six man with the um, with Penther, you know, it was very good. The uh, I don't understand the uh, the religious fervor over Hook, who, who's had all of like a dozen matches. That's uh, uh, that's Taz Junior, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, that guy, that kid could do no wrong. He's on the uh, fanboy good list. And um, and they had a women's match that was nothing special. And uh, when I, an hour into it, I just said, I'm not paying $50 for this pay-per-view. And I, I went and moved on to other things. I, I happen to like AEW, but... Um, I'm I'm not one to like sit and watch hours and hours of wrestling by myself, and uh, I'm certainly not a tape guy. And uh, you know, uh, I'd like to see more house shows. Basically, they're just doing TV tapings. I enjoy going to a house show with friends and uh, that whole experience. Um, I did not go to um, WWE's Madison Square Garden card uh, last night, and gratefully so because Reigns and Rollins went all of five minutes <laughs> five minutes can you imagine Bruno or Backlund coming out and wrestling five minutes it never would have happened no. you know and, and the uh, ring entrances are taking longer than the actual match themselves yeah I, I think it's almost like Pavlov's dogs at this point the uh they play the music the fans pop they do you know uh the strut for seven minutes to the ring. Then they, you know, the fans like the shtick. And and Lesnar uh, squashed Austin Theory. And oh, I, I mean so that I, was what they wanted. That was supposed to be um, Lashley against uh, Lesnar, wasn't it? The main event was yeah. Lashley's to be. legit hurts. So um, they give you I, Theory instead. That's their their equivalent. They're like that's like going in and ordering. A flame and yaw, and you wind up getting a uh, 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 hamburger know, helper. Yeah, hamburger helper. Exactly. They go it, it, look. It's it's got fillet in there somewhere. We put the <laughs> we filleted the hamburgers. There's no bones in the hamburgers, so you're getting your fillet. You know. I mean, I I've been watching wrestling literally 50 years. I started watching in '72, and I started attending in '74. I've never seen anything like this where they just said. Brock Lesnar's defending the belt, and you know you take Come what and we see give him. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You take what we give you and and like it. And and ringside was as high as two hundred twenty-five dollars. I just think is absurd for a mediocre house show. And adding insult to injury, you know, I just kept seeing one fan after another going, "How much they liked it." You know, it's like this is. The, the bar is set so low, that, you know, after the match, uh, Roman Reigns and the Usos attack Lesnar, and you know, I, I guess they enjoyed that, you know, but, but I want to see a great match. If I'm going to, to a three-hour wrestling card and commuting each way, 
I, I want to see great wrestling. And you know, they said the Usos and the New Day were good, but you know we've seen that five thousand times. So I mean, any, I guess any clue as to what the gate was on it or how big the crowd was? They, they said it was nearly full, so um, it's it's a big gate at those prices. Tickets are basically twenty to two hundred twenty-five. Yeah. But so, I wonder if, if they put a card on at MSG, like, you know, three consecutive months, what the attendance would be in month three. Guarantee uh, it would be near full. They, they, could, they couldn't draw uh, three months in a row. Right, exactly. They, did, they didn't draw during their Christmas show. They, they, had a, they had a horrible crowd a couple months back. Um, the other thing is, I think AEW uh, and ROH and... New Japan, considering they sold it out in no time, they should, you know, they should put it together another super card like that. At least it would be feel special and different. And um, but I am not their target audience anymore. It's it's almost like they're money marks and proud of it. The same day yesterday, we had a convention here. Undertaker selling autographs for two hundred bucks a pop. Photo ops, two hundred bucks a pop, and it's like it's like the fans are cool with it. It's like money's no object. I don't I don't know if they just you know put it on their credit cards and run it up for all this stuff, or or it's a richer crowd. It's not a blue collar <coughs> crowd anymore. I I couldn't I couldn't honestly say, but um, I don't know. I mean, two hundred bucks an autograph and two hundred twenty five dollars for a house show. Seems like fans have money nowadays. I work too hard for mine. I don't, I don't know about that. I mean... Uh, yeah, wait until they work in NFTs, the non-fungible tokens, to all of that, to make an even greater profit grab at everything. I mean, WrestleMania, they got $5,000 packages and uh, et cetera, so on. And it, I, I see fanboys with, uh, you know, mountains of memorabilia and wrestlers outfits and just seems like money's no object unless it's an addiction like anything else and they're running up huge credit card bills for it i, I don't know but um i i know people that went to the convention and spent the fortune went to the garden card and then flew out to aew like, like you know it's like lifestyles that are rich and famous it's like uh, I it's, guess it's, if you save up your whole vacation budget and that's everything you do all year and that's the, the highest point that you get to all year, then the, I guess that's money well spent. At least ask the people who, who did it. Well, it's interesting you say that because now that the cards are three or four times a year in these major arenas instead of monthly, that's pretty much what it is. This is Junior's graduation present. This is the Twins Christmas present, you know, and there's a sea of little kitties there and, uh, you know, with mommy and daddy and uh, they have all the gimmicks and the uh, junk food and, you know, throw in the parking and you know, they spend 500 bucks or whatever for the evening. And it's uh, now, Benny, you said your son watches AEW. How old is uh, your son? My son's 36. I just I got a video tonight of him watching with it with my grandson, who's three. But he he just kind of casually watches. He's not really a fan. Well, let me let me segue into the baseball, and I'll let you guys go at it. Uh, at Yankee Stadium, I, I live in New York, obviously, as you could tell by my accent. No. Um, at Yankee Stadium, they were selling behind home plate for twenty five hundred dollars. Twenty five hundred dollars a ticket for regular season. I'm not talking the World Series. I'm talking for any home game. Twenty five hundred. So every time the camera would would pan, you know, behind home plate, there was nobody there. There was nobody there, and it was an embarrassment. So the New York Yankees, greed mongers that they are, graciously cut the price in half to twelve hundred fifty dollars. Behind home plate. Very generous. So, yeah, so, yeah it, it's it's a money machine from the minute you pull the car into the parking lot for 40 bucks or whatever, you know, give or take a few. And um, so I, I, I kind of got disgusted with uh, baseball over the years as well. I come from an era 
where, you know, the 69 and 73 Mets, these were blue collar guys. Siva got $100,000 and people were, it was like front page news. Like, oh my God, this guy's making $100,000 and people were jealous, you know, because it was a fortune of money back then. These guys had winter jobs in the off season. They, they lived in the neighborhood. They were blue collar guys. And now you got two twenty hitters making millions of dollars, and uh, you know, and 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 the owners are even worse. I mean, even worse. You know, they have billion dollar, you know, TV deals. It's it is what it is. But I, you guys are the experts. I lost touch with it a long time ago. And uh, to me, a guy like Roberto Clemente, oh yeah, was a hero. A hero. This guy died helping people. This guy wasn't worried about selling autographs to kids or whatnot. I mean, uh, it's, it's a different world today, and uh, greed is not good. And the corporate apologists who do the what the market will bear, you know what? I'm not paying hundreds of bucks to see a home game, you know, with the Mets either. No, and, and in that respect, wrestling and, and baseball aren't that far apart. They're, they're very similar. And the way they approach their fans and see them as this constant ATM that they can just withdraw money from, no matter what the product is like. The one thing that's good with baseball is, you know, you could sit in the outfield for eight or ten bucks still. And, you know, if you don't have it, you could still at least attend. Uh, I, the wrestling's getting a little out of hand where it's even even AEW, who I, you know, $300 for ringside. For a TV taping, I, I just think it's absurd. I think it's absurd. I just don't get it. It's, uh, but anyway, I'll let you guys talk baseball. Well, it's great to have you on this week, even for a short time. I'll let you get back. I hope everything's going great with your, your wife. I know she was a little under the weather, so so maybe you can Thank take you. care of her. She's, she's and we'll, we'll carry on the show without you, and we'll see you next week. Evan. Hey, Benny, is your partner like in witness protection? We've never actually seen this guy. <laughs> yeah. It does exist, I promise. Oh, okay, okay, man. We'll get him yeah. on the show one of these days. All right, okay. all right. Thank Bye. you very much. We'll see you next week, Evan. All right, that's Good my night. event. So now it's just us. Now we can talk all the baseball we can handle. So, what would you like to start talking? Well, you know, it's really funny because <clears throat> Evan was mentioning the 1969 Mets, and uh, I, I mean, I wrote. I wrote down literally, I have 12 stories here, or 11 stories spanning over 50 years. One of my stories, I'll, stories. I'll just go, and you can just go on. I'll, I'll take the but, rest of the night you know, off. I'll let, let when, you when, Aaron, when Evan was talking about the prices of the tickets, um, I grew up in Long Island, not too far from where Evan grew, you know, lived. And uh, there was uh, the, the Huntington Mall had a Macy's. And in the back of Macy's, there was <clears throat> kind of like a, like a, almost like mail slots, and they had tickets to every Mets game. And um, you could buy, I think the top price was 7 bucks for a, for a box seat. But I actually went in 1970 to a doubleheader um, at Yankee Stadium with my friend Paul Weinstock, and I, hopefully he's listening. Hey, Paul. Uh, and he's going to be, he'll, he'll, you'll hear his name in several of these stories. I pay, we paid 75 cents to sit in the bleachers at Yankee Stadium in 1970. Wow. Watch a doubleheader. Wow. And, I mean, it's it's come so far the other way that, I mean, it really, you have to think about buying a ticket now. You never thought about it back then. And, yeah, I when I take my kids to, to go see the Giants now, um, we only go to one or two games uh, for a whole season. You know, my, my uncle used to have season tickets, Back at Candlestick Park in in the sixties and seventies and and eighties, all the way up till when they moved to to Pac Bell slash AT and T slash Oracle, whatever you you know want to call it now. Um, but it it you know when we used to go to Candlestick Park, a lot of times, especially in the late seventies, the Giants weren't very good. So we we would my dad would buy one ticket and and my uncle would have another one. And then if my dad bought a ticket, he'd usually get two other tickets thrown in for free for my brother and myself. So it would be basically three three for one tickets, 
wow. you know, a candlestick. And now it's obviously the other way around. You you pay what you would have paid for maybe a hundred tickets. You get one right. ticket to get into to, to a ball game now. I have to tell you about my very first game. And, you know, thanks to Baseball Almanac, because I have a lot of memories. And I knew, like, I knew I went to my first game in 1964. And I knew, ironically, against the San Francisco Giants. And I, I knew it was 14 innings. So I went on to Baseball Almanac, and I found that it was August 4th, 1964. Uh, the Mets versus the Giants. The Giants won in 14 innings. Wow. And, yes, and there were actually five Hall of Famers that played for the Giants that day. So Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Orlando Cepeda, uh, Gaylord Perry, and one which you might not uh, have guessed, Duke Snyder, who played for the Giants in 19. So he was a pinch hitter. That and the only for the Mets, the only Hall of Famer was Casey Stangle. But and then the winning pitcher was one of my favorite ball players, Jim Duffalo. <laughs> uh, one of my first tops baseball cards was a 1963 Jim Duffalo, which I thought his name was actually Jim Buffalo. And I thought they just messed it up at tops. But, yeah, from Helvetia, Pennsylvania. Actually a pretty decent pitcher. But um, but that was my very first game. Now, keep in mind, in 1964, there was no color TV. So, I mean, every game I had ever watched was in black and white. And the the when you go down up that runway and you take a look at that field, you know, having, having never seen a game in color, there's no words to describe how beautiful it was. For a nine-year-old kid, I was hooked. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and 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 I grew up going to so many games at Candlestick Park, probably more like fifteen to twenty games a year, thanks to my uncle's tickets and and just it being such a affordable uh, 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 thing to go see. And my dad was a big baseball fan. He he grew up a, a Brooklyn Dodgers fan, and when they moved out of Brooklyn, he it broke his heart. So he was furious at baseball. Um, and then he moved to San Francisco. And uh, Brooklyn had, you know, moved to Los Angeles. And San Francisco and, and L.A. have that built-in rivalry. Although that was really the first, the real start of that rivalry was, was when Brooklyn got the Dodgers and the Giants moved to San Francisco. And he moved to San Francisco just a few years after the Giants were here. So he, he adopted the Giants immediately. And he passed that Giants, the love of the Giants, on to me. And, and I got to admit, I'm, I'm <clears throat> to be really totally honest with you, I'm not the biggest baseball fan in the world, but I'm a huge, huge Giants fan. I mean, I, I, my knowledge of baseball isn't all-encompassing. But my love of the Giants goes to the very fabric of my being. It is. See, we're, we're polar opposites. I mean, I love the Yankees now as a kid, though. So um, my dad was a service manager for a, uh, a Chevy dealership in Long Island, New York. And one of his customers was the PR director for the Mets. So we got to sit in the press box and anytime we wanted. And my, my dad was not a baseball fan. But thank God he was a great dad. So, I mean, there was, okay, and I, I <coughs> excuse me, looked up the, <coughs> the dates for this. August 31st and September 1st, 1965, um, the Mets and the Astros, back-to-back, twilight doubleheaders, that, which is something you would never see ever again. So I got to watch four games in two days, and we sat through all four games. I mean, wow. For nothing. I mean, and in the press box, you know, you could hear the, the announcers. I mean, I guess it was uh, Ralph Kiner, Lindsey Nelson, and Bob Murphy for the Mets. But what, what a, like for a nine-year-old kid, 10-year-old kid, what a treat. Yeah, no, and so baseball really bur- burrowed its, 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 its claws into you, you know, back in, in and it is a big part of, of my childhood. And, and one of the things that definitely I bonded over my, with my dad, who, who died um, in October of last year, uh, at age, uh, almost age 89. And that, you know, we didn't have a ton of things in common. In fact, he despised wrestling. So we would never talk about that. He never saw me perform as a manager. 
Never wanted to go to a wrestling match. He liked it as a kid, and then he said he grew out of it, like comics and all that other stuff. And guess what? I still love wrestling, and I still love my comics. And 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 the only thing that we really could bond over was politics and 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 sports like baseball, football, and basketball. But but baseball, I think, had the biggest hold on us. Maybe because here in San Francisco. We had to wait till 2010 to get our first World Series win. And that, to me, meant so much to see a team that had gone 50 years without winning a championship to then win their very first title. It was really something that touched the city of San Francisco in a way deeper than I think any of the other championships that I've watched, including the five titles for the 49ers and the four titles, but really recently three titles won by the Golden State Warriors. The first title that the Warriors won wasn't a big deal. I have to explain to a lot of people that in 1974, 1975, when the Warriors won the NBA championship, basketball was nearly out of business. And they actually had to, you know, in seasons before, uh, uh, when the circus would come to town, the Warriors would have to move to another location to do their basketball games, like to the Civic Auditorium, because the circus was in town and took up the Cow Palace. Who was so even they, on that, that that Warriors team? I'm thinking, was that Rick ba- was Rick Barry on that team? Yeah, that was Rick Barry. That was Clifford Ray. That was Phil Smith. That was Jeff Mullins. That was uh, Nate Thurman. Uh, was it? Was he already retired? No, he had just. They had just gotten rid of Nate Thurman. Um, Al Adels was the coach. Al, yes, yes. But Nate Thurman had just been traded for Clifford Ray. Clifford Ray was their big man. Okay. Who got them? Who got them the title? But it was really Rick Barry that you know. I was heartbroken because Barry uh, played for the Nets, uh, and he played right at um, at the Island Garden in Hempstead when they, you know, when they were in the ABA. And uh, actually, that was where I saw my first wrestling show in 1968. My dad. Now, my dad was neither a baseball fan nor a wrestling fan, but he, like I said, he was a great dad. And uh, you know, I, I had seen uh, an interview with Bruno on TV. Um, but for whatever reason, wrestling was on in the living room, which it never was. And uh, Bruno started speaking in Italian. So I, my mom was in the kitchen because my mom was always in the kitchen making something great to eat. And I said, Mom, he's talking in Italian. Can you can you translate for me? And she came in and, you know, she translated what Bruno said. And she goes, he's a really, he's a good man. And that's what got me started watching. And then they were going to, uh, you know, Island Guards in Hempstead was probably about 20 minutes from where we grew up and uh, where we lived. And uh, my dad took me to the card. It was Bruno versus Taru Tanaka was the main event. And I, I mean... Fifty-four years later, and I'm—I I'm, love it more than I ever do. Now, I—I'm I, like Evan, though. I really don't watch the current product. I'm in—I'm in a time warp. But I'll go on YouTube. You know, I'll watch Johnny Rods uh, and SD Jones. I'll watch them a hundred times, and I'll—I'll I'll enjoy it. Sure. Well, we'll get to that. Get, go into that a little bit later. But I want to want to focus on baseball because we have this unique opportunity. Oh, absolutely. To- to to you know to to really get a chance to talk about because right now we would normally be talking about what's going on in spring training but there's nothing to talk about because of the lockout. What are your thoughts about this lockout? You know, and I did a little because quite honestly I haven't been following it that close um, <clears throat> because <coughs> excuse me if to me like if they don't play. Now, do I want them to play? Absolutely. Uh, my son, Dan, my middle son, lives in Minneapolis, uh, maybe 10 minutes from Target Field, and I plan on going out this summer and, you know, catching a couple of games. And I would definitely miss that. But, you know, living in Florida, um, you know, I have the Dunedin Blue Jays, about 20 minutes from my house. I have the Clearwater Threshers. I love minor league baseball. Minor league baseball is a great, you know, inexpensive family-oriented form of entertainment. Bless you. And um, so I'm good. Even if they, if they don't play, I'm good. But I guess I'm kind of – now, I understand, 
you know, I, the players, in my mind, the players are still trying to stick it to the owners for all the years that they were oppressed. And I was just doing a little bit of research. Mickey Mantle, I think, won the Triple Crown in 1956, I believe. And I think he made 50 grand that year, which is probably one of the top salaries in the league. And so, you know, back in the day, they'd mail you a contract. They're always one-year contracts. They were never multi-year. So you got a contract for 57 for 50 grand. So, like, leading the league, I think, with a 353 average, 52 homers, and 130 RBIs. And I'm quoting this off the top of my head, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm right on all of those. And they gave him no raise. And, I mean, what choice did he have? Either he took what they offered them or he sat at home. He couldn't. He didn't. You know, free agency was 25 years or 20 years away. And so, but I think it's just gotten a little bit ridiculous. I mean, the, all these guys are multimillionaires. I mean, and we, the fans, are the ones who lose out on it. Oh, absolutely. Right now, I mean, you know, it's it's one of the, like, you know, it, it's, it, it's the worst, like, cliffhanger that you could ever go through as, like, a Giants fan. We won 107 games last year. We had the pennant race between the Dodgers, who won 106 games, and the Giants winning 107. And they were breathing down our neck. We went to a game five against them at home, and we get called out on the final strike of the game. And it was a called, you know, non-check swing out, you know, on the Giants. And what a what a difficult way to like end that season and the the for the main thing you want you know when you lose like something so close is you want the season to start again like the next day right you know you you, you don't want to have to wait for the the, the 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 time between when baseball starts ends and baseball starts is the longest off season in sports and so that like hang time hangover time where you're you you the fact that it's gonna be stretched out even longer and that there may be you know no games and in april you know they're talking about you know maybe they would start the season up in may you know and who knows you know um in fact uh, uh in 1995 my brother and i drove across the united states and my only opportunity to see a game live at Wrigley Field was when I drove through Chicago. And my brother and I, there would have been a Mets game. So we would have seen the Mets against uh, the Cubs. And there's a picture that my brother and I have of the two of us in the center of center field at the Cubs logo with our heads bent down and our hats off because there was no game because of the lock of the strike. So my only chance to see a game at Wrigley Field live, and it was ruined by the baseball strike. So here we are, you know, now in 2022, and I can only imagine how many people's dreams and hopes have been dashed because of this lockout. And it doesn't seem for like there's a really great reason to have this happen. And uh, as we were talking earlier about Vince McMahon and the way he runs the WWE, no free agency, no no union, nothing like that. His iron grip on it versus the way that the owners have tried to have that same kind of iron grip, but have failed in this situation. And now there's no baseball. I wonder what Vince McMahon would do if, for whatever reason, all the wrestlers decided they wouldn't perform anymore. But, you know, it's really funny because I was thinking about that, too. You know, WWE superstars are independent contractors. They, they I'm, now, I'm, I'm pretty sure they do. They're, they're get... independent contractors when Vince wanted them to be, but when he wanted them to perform during the COVID ap- epidemic, he called them essential employees. So that they had to wrestle during the COVID crisis. You know how that all works. Right. But I mean, as far as I know, they're not getting benefits. They're not getting a pension. And even as far as, of course, even though they're independent contractors, um, they can't work for anybody else. And I believe 
their you know any any revenue that's derived from the use of their name uh, it has to be shared with Vince, correct? Correct. Correct. It's the most unfair contract in the United States. And with recent laws in California, I'm not even sure he's capable of doing that. But somehow Vince, because he had, especially during the Trump years, he had, you know, Trump under his thumb uh, uh, and his wife, you know, serving on one of his cabinets uh, 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 as a secretary of small business administration. The wrestlers were really exempt from anything like that. But, you know, I I wonder if that's going to be something that Vince is going to be able to do forever. Yeah, I don't know how he gets away with it, though. I mean, now on the flip side, an MLB ball player is an employee, does qualify for a a very nice pension, and any endorsement revenue they get is theirs. So, I mean, to me, they they have it made. I don't quite understand. I mean, and like you said... I don't see this monumental issue that's dividing them. I mean, there's, there's, <clears throat> it's like pizza. You know, there's plenty for everybody. And, and you know, and, and you're going to eat your fill and you're going to have this still, still going to be some left over. You know, what? these guys are all millionaires. So why can't you just play? But that, that's a fan's point of view. I'm not a, I'm not a player. Sure. No, I, and it's really, it's more the owners that I, that as far as I see, that are the ones that are the intransigent ones and saying, first of all, they're the ones that put off negotiating for so many months. I mean, it is reprehensible that, you know, baseball ended in October of last year and they didn't even start talking until, you know, February. You know, that they they would go so many months and, and do that kind of boneheaded brinksmanship to push it to that level so that uh, you would only have, you know, a couple of weeks to negotiate these things. And then they only met for like an hour a day or something like that, you know, or they'd have 15 minute meetings and waste all this time going into the season without, you know, taking it seriously. And I think the message sent to the fans is that they didn't care enough. The owners didn't care enough about the fans missing any games they look at it as like, oh, well, nobody goes to uh, April games. Nobody goes to, we don't make enough money in the preseason. But to places like Scottsdale, Arizona, and 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 uh, uh, some places in, in Florida where they have a lot of spring training town. Tampa, Tampa for the Yankees. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's a huge loss. And it's something that, that, that those towns and the people that support the, that are supported by spring training baseball. I mean, you know, Major League Baseball looks at things that don't earn them things in the hundreds of millions of dollars and says, ah, that's just not worth our time. That's not worth our effort. But but as we were just pointing out, it's the lower echelon of baseball when when you're talking about it from the the. Um, uh, minor leagues and kids playing it in, in the playgrounds and things like that that garners the love of baseball to the level where it's worth millions of dollars. If you don't have that love of baseball as a kid, you're not going to want to spend that money on it as an adult, I don't think. No, you're absolutely correct. And so I think they're losing that. They're really jeopardizing losing that link between what made kids and and young adults love baseball and want you know when they have disposable income as adults want to take their kids and spend the money to make sure that their kids can feel the same love of the game that they had as children and i'm finding that to be a real challenge with my my children who are 10 and i'm sure your son will have that problem with his son when he's you know, ready to go to baseball game. Well, and I'm just re- I'm just having flashbacks here. You know, back in I guess the mid to late '80s was when the the baseball card craze started really sweeping the nation. And you know, I mean, so when you're a kid now in, in the late '80s, you're gonna open a pack of cards and I, you're gonna equate the 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 you know the the value of the cards to what they're actually worth. You know, well, this is a you know a Will Clark rookie card that's worth so much money. You know, back in the day, if you know, I opened a pack of cards in 1963, and I saw Willie Mays, 
I was thrilled. You know, I, I, I had no idea how much it was worth. I just, all I know is I have a card with Willie Mays on it. And I think, you know, that's the love of baseball I had. And I don't, I don't know the it's kind of like wrestling, you know, uh, back in Memphis um, in the 80s, where, you know, people were going to the Mid-South Coliseum every Monday night to, to watch wrestling. I mean, 52 weeks a year. That love of wrestling will never exist again. And I, I'm starting to wonder if, like, that love of baseball at that level when we were kids, well, you know, are, are the youth of today, are they, are they going to know that? Yeah, I, mine won't. I mean, they, they, I, I can tell you already, they won't. As, as great as, as my love, the Giants have been in, that they've grown up at least with two, world, seeing two World Series championships in their lifetime. They didn't see the 2010 because they weren't born yet. But, they, you know, they've been around for two of the championships and last year's 107-win team, but they aren't clamoring. I mean, they, they don't mind going to a game, and they, they find it fun because I, I pack all sorts of food that they love, and, and, you know, they pig out once we get to the stadium. But do they sit there and they, do, do they keep score of the game? Do they, 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 they watch, you know, every inning of it? No, they don't. And I don't think they will. I don't think they're going to to love baseball in that same fashion. And and I think that that you, you if they take this season off, if they don't play baseball at all this year, they're going to lose so many fans. That I don't know if it's ever going to come back, and that would be a real tragedy, because it's such a big fabric of what makes America America. And behind you there, you have Murderers Row. You know. Each one of those names that's on the, that you have behind you isn't just big for baseball. They're big for for American history. I mean, Lou Gehrig, you know, he's a big. He, his name means a lot to everyone across the world because of, of course, the L, Lou Gehrig's disease and 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 so forth. But there's there there's more to him than that. Stan Musial. And Babe Ruth, obviously, you know, and and Lazeri and 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 you know all these other legends that were etched into stone are things that for generations meant more than just baseball. They meant something about sporting excellence. Well, and I mean, I think one of the things with free agency is you know back in the day, you're a Yankee fan. You know, Mickey Mantle comes up in 1951, retires in 1969. So for, you know, 18 seasons, you watch Mickey Mantle. You know, and, and now, like, I, I, I'm a huge Albert Pujols fan. So I didn't really care where he played. But, I mean, I have to think that uh, after he finished with the Cardinals, they had to be absolutely heartbroken when he left for the money and played for the Angels. Right. And I think, isn't he on the Dodgers now? If we if they pick him up again, but, yeah. You know, getting back to your point though, like those guys, like you know, like a Lou Gehrig, a Babe Ruth, those guys stand a man. They were larger than life, you know, to to the American public. I mean, they were they were like they were icons. They, they you know people looked up to them, right or wrong. And nowadays, I mean, you don't have that same uh, feel for a professional athlete. They're just they're they're rich guys that play baseball. Well, and also I think the roles have changed so much in baseball because obviously my my favorite team is the 2012 San Francisco Giants. And I, I personally think that's the best season in baseball that a team could have is the one that the 2012 Giants had. Now, obviously you would counter back with your Yankees from what, uh, 1920? I would say either 27 or I'd even maybe counter 1998. The 1998 Yankees that won, what, 114 games? 114? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's an amazing team. And that had uh, 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 the Clemens was on there, right? Yeah, you had uh, you had Bernie, you had Jorge Posada, you had Jeter, um, you had Moe. Just, just a great team. Yes. Well, as I counter back with the, the Giants in 2012, I... I would argue and say that that Buster Posey had the best season a baseball player could have. And I, I would say that because he not only had 
the batting title, but he also won most improved player. He also won most inspirational player and for the Willie Mack award for the, the, the San Francisco Giants. Plus, of course, he got a World Series and he came back from the broken leg that he had had the year before in 2011 that changed the rules of baseball, changed the, the slide rule in at home plate, which, you know, I think is, is a, one of the few good rule changes that baseball's had well, of recent. I'm going to say something, and maybe as a Yankee fan, I, I, I might be burned at the stake, but I would argue that the 1927 Yankees had better players than the 2012 Giants, but I would I would also say that the 2012, 2012 Giants <clears throat> were a better team. I thought they were. I mean, I mean, as far had... as like the players functioning together as a cohesive unit, they were probably they could argue they could you could say they were the best team ever. They try they things fell into place in such a way, especially with 2012 that I don't think any other baseball team is ever going to have happen. Not only did they have amazing pitchers in in guys like uh, 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 Madison Baumgartner was just getting started on that team, and you had Tim Lincecum, and you had Matt, Matt King. King. Yeah, exactly. But you had guys like, like Vogelsong, who hadn't done anything and played amazingly, for the Giants, but maybe the biggest deal was that Barry Zito, who'd been le- left off the roster in 2010, and um, Pablo Sandoval, who had been left off the roster in 2010, redeemed themselves by having phenomenal postseasons. And um, you had the miracle of Scudero in the rain game that, you know, there's that one picture of him with the outstretched arms while the rain was falling down and should have probably been a rain delay, but they let the game go on so they could finish it up. And, and that's also the, the world, the uh, postseason where Pablo Sandoval hit three home runs in a single game, but tied your, your boy, Reggie, Reggie Jackson. You also had Melky Cabrera of all people hit three forty six that year. Which right, although he ended up then getting pulled off the roster because of the uh, drug allegations. And, so. and, and then, like you said, uh, Pablo Sandoval, you know, when you match him up, the, the 27 Yankees uh, third baseman was uh, Joe Dugan. And um, he, Sandoval had a better year. They, they, they it, went it that was one. just all, everything kind of clicked into place. But, but the, the, that was also the year where you had um, uh, uh, the Giants go 0-2 in their first series and still win. Then they went down 2-1 to in the next series and won. And then they were down, oh, they, then they swept the in, in the World Series. But they were, the, the, someone called them cockroaches because they said the, the Giants refused to die. And they, it was when they were down 0-2 or down 2-1 and um, Kane and Lincecum had, had, had terrible um, games that Zito and Vogelsong saved the Giants and allowed them to, you know, get, go back into lead up 3-2 in the series and then win the final game against, I think it was St. Louis at that point, you know, or maybe it was the Nationals. And try, it's sad to think that now 10 years ago has happened since the 2000. 12 Giants played baseball and you know it makes me a little sad to think that like wow that was a decade already but it was it's not only it's not always about who who has the best players I mean look at the 69 Mets against the 69 Orioles you know they had you know the Orioles had Frank and Brooks Robinson they had uh you know Mark Belanger at shortstop you know one of the best shortstops ever they had Boot Powell they had you know Paul Blair in center field, who is like to me one of the best center fielders ever, and you know the Yankees, the the, the Mets just had a ragtag bunch of <coughs> excuse me players, but you know they just everybody did what they had to when it when it had to be done, and they won. And that's something that I think is more baseball than any other sport. I really think that you have you have more of these rags to riches type. 
That's why we haven't had a repeat baseball championship, I think, since the Yankees in 99-2000. Right. You know, it, it, we've gone 20 years without any, any, any baseball team able to repeat as champions. And that might be one of the things that does get... But I don't think the 2000 team was as good as the 99 Yankees team. In fact, that was the interesting part about Buddy Sotelo, my, my wrestling character, is that at the time, uh, you know, I was playing a... a, a my, my, my character was a lawyer from New York, an Italian lawyer from New York. And so when I went to New York, I went to New York City to give myself kind of a, a, a New York, like, flavor tour. And I found a Yankees tie on sale at one of the one of the, the stores. So I bought the Yankees tie and it generated so much heat. My Yankees tie generated there, there was so much heat here in the Bay Area because all the A's fans and we were doing a lot of our stuff in the East Bay were, you know, really anti-Yankee. And so, you know, because the Yankees were, were dominating so much at that point. So it was great to sort of bring it was weird because i was bringing all the anti-new york hate to san francisco right and people couldn't stand it but then 9-11 happened the next year and suddenly it wasn't cool to hate new york any longer right so i actually had to ditch the tie and go to a a completely different look i had my quote-unquote retired buddy look where i i wore the the this the sweatpants the the you know the the leisure the uh, uh, um, uh, uh, velour uh, jogging suit you know as a manager instead of the uh, the suit and tie with the Yankees tie things I but it, it's so funny that you know I, I think to it, wrestling does parallel baseball in in, in certain ways um, <clears throat> we had um, Paige Von Hess uh, of Sutherland who's the daughter of uh, Kurt Von Hess. We need to get her on the show, too. Yeah, she that's was reminder. fabulous. And one of the uh, stories she told was she, her dad would rarely let her go to the matches. And, um, but this one occasion, um, she, she went and with her sister. And I think her dad was wrestling uh, Afa from the Wild Samoans. And I guess you know, Kurt was the heel and Afa was the baby face. And he generated so much heat that... <clears throat> The fans are actually followed uh, Kurt to the, his car, and on that, now you got Kurt in, in the car with uh, with the two daughters, and they're trying to fans are trying to turn the car over, you know. And fortunately, some of the other wrestlers and the cops broke it up, but like just you know, to show the you know the the level of passion the fans had. Not not that it was good, but I mean like how how emotionally invested they were in in wrestling, and it was the same way when we were kids. In baseball, you know, arguing for our favorite player or our, fa- you know, who, our favorite team, or you know, if you were from a different town, you know, if you were from Boston, we, you know, we, we automatically hated each other because you're a Red Sox fan, and I was a Yankee fan. And you would have those baseball cards you never trade away. Oh, Doesn't no. matter what would be offered to you, no. you know, you, you know, in the Bay Area, you couldn't get a kid to trade a Willie McCovey or a Willie Mays card. Doesn't matter if you had a Honus Wagner. Doesn't right. matter if you had a Babe Ruth rookie card. You know. Well, and, and that's the thing now. Like, you know, if if you had a Willie, I mean, how long was Willie Mays a Giant? You know, how long Only was Willie McCovey a, a Giant, or you know, <clears throat> any of those guys? And and now, you know, you might get a guy on your team. You can't really develop a loyalty to a player anymore because. They're going to be gone in four or five years when their contract is up. I mean, he was only a San Francisco Giant for a couple of years, but he was a New York Giant, obviously. Right, right. Best part of his years. Yeah, he was only here for a couple of years before he retired. But like Willie McCovey, like he was, or even like a guy like Will Clark, you know, if you want to go about, you know, and even though he played somewhere else, everyone really feels like they identify with him as the Giant. Yes, as as the, as the giant Will Clark. So we're running out of time. I want you to throw out a couple stories that you you had. I know you said you prepared so much. I feel guilty because you prepared all this stuff, and then we eat up all this time on all these side chats, and 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 you probably didn't get a chance to say all of your your stuff. First of all, tell me 
who is the have you met any great baseball players and if so who who have you met <laughs> it's really funny i'm trying to think the the only ball player i think i ever chatted with um was um jim eisenreich who played for the twins and the royals i actually lived in kansas city for a number of years in uh, blue springs missouri and for the at the time he was playing for the royals and he went to the same church that i did and I happened to recognize him, and uh, then I saw him at the Golden Corral, and we just started chatting, just a regular guy. And uh, but no, I mean, <clears throat> I've had far more interaction with wrestlers than I have with ball players. Well, I've got three. I've got three that I can pull out. One is that um, I had a chance to meet Vita Blue a couple of oh, years wow. ago, um, and you really, really couldn't get a nicer person wow. to interview. Invite a blow. What a ball player. What a pitcher. And what a nice guy. Super nice guy. He, you know, where other, we were at a golfing thing, a Dave Casper um, charity foundation event. And um, a lot of guys came in and left and came in and left. But Vita Blue stayed longer. And like his golfing buddies were like, hey, hey, come on, let's go golfing. He's like, no, I want to talk to these guys. So he was really super friendly. So I, I got to say, Vita Blue was one of the nicest people that I've met. The other one that I, I, I have a quick story about, um, Orlando Cepeda. Gotcha. So, um, I got to interview, um, and I interviewed him for 45 minutes. Now, he was supposed to be part of this big press junket for a restaurant that was opening up in Sacramento, and they had a, a sign and autographs thing with Orlando Cepeda, but they misadvertised it and they put the wrong date down. So nobody showed up except for me. So it's just me sitting there with Orlando Cepeda to my right side and a bunch of Mexican food. And we just sat there and I talked to him because no other, no, none of the other press people showed up. So it was an exclusive interview that I had with Orlando. And, and we talked for 45 minutes over everything about his life which was wonderful. He's a devoted Buddhist and, and, and one of the most even-centered people that I've ever talked to. Really fantastic. But the final one, and probably a name you're not familiar with, is a guy by the name of Buddy Biancalana. Oh, yeah. You do I know can... who Buddy Biancalana is. Oh, absolutely. Well, Buddy Biancalana went to my high school. He's the... We have... We have Three famous people that went to my, well, four famous people that went to my high school. One is Robin Williams. Wow. Two is Gavin Newsom. Now, Gavin Newsom actually was in my math class. So I actually, he was the same grade as me and, and actually, you know, knew, quote unquote, knew him, although he had nothing wow. to do with me. Third uh, was Pete Carroll from the uh, Seattle oh, Seahawks. And four is Buddy Biancalana, went to Redwood High School. And um, I had a business networking group that I was in. And Buddy Biancalana joined as a, to, to sell a product that he has to, to teach people how to be better athletes. It's kind of like a way, a computerized program that shows you when you're in your sweet spot no matter what sport you're in, no matter what you're trying to do, like whether you're trying to swing a tennis racket, he shows you like where your apex is on your swing or a bat or a golf club or throwing a pass where your arm needs to be. So Buddy Biancolano was in my networking group for like about a year. And so I got to see him every week. And, and he's also just the super nicest guy. So as far as my experience goes, meeting baseball players and getting to talk to them, they've been some of the nicest people that I've ever had a chance to, to work with. So I'm a big fan. I mean, I, baseball has meant so much to me because it's touched me in my life in all these different intersections with it. And it just breaks my heart to see it locked out and to be made sort of the pariah of sports because of what it's going through currently. So, I mean, I'm kind of just, you know, I, I like wrestling. I mean, I, I go back to my, my time warp. I go back to the 70s. I'll watch, I'll watch a Bruno title match on YouTube. Yeah, same thing with baseball. I, I go back to my childhood memories. 
And one of the one of the stories I wanted, and it's just a very obscure thing. And again, thanks to the folks at Baseball Almanac, I pinpointed the date. So it was June 18th, 1965, which was six days before my 10th birthday. And the Yankees were playing the Twins. And Mantle and Maris both hit home runs that, that game, which was monumental. But the, 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 that, that's not why I wanted to tell the story. There was a ball player, and his name was Ross Moschito. And I think he's from San Bernardino. California. I'm not quite sure, but he, they, they, they called him Mickey Mantle's legs. He would play and because Mantle was getting at the end of his career and, you know, his legs were really bad. So Ross Moschito, number 53, would come in in like the eighth inning uh, to spell Mantle and uh, really, really would get an at bat. But I think this game, he, uh, I think Mantle might've been playing first base, but Moschito actually hit his one and only major league home run off the left field foul pole. Huh. Uh, and so, I mean, I can say that, and I, I, I'm, I'm trying to search for the, <clears throat> the baseball equivalent of pro wrestling stories that I write for, because I want to write a story about Ross Moschito. And I think he's still around. I think he's on Facebook. I'm going to have to look him up, but that, that was something. And the only other story I wanted to tell real quick was, so uh, very rarely as a child, uh, I you know, again grew up on Long Island, WPIX would show the Yankees games, and very rarely would they ever show a day game. And this one particular week, there was uh, the Yankees were playing the Red Sox at Fenway, and uh, there was going to be a day game at one o'clock. And you know, I wasn't going to be able to just stay home from school, so I had to do the Ferris Bueller, you know, you know, playing sick. And I mean, I, I I worked it for everything it was worth, and I got my mom to let me stay home, and then all day. I'm preparing for this game, and you know the the excitement's building as it gets closer and closer to one o'clock. Finally, the hour comes, and I flip on WPIX, and I look and say, you know, you hear the Yankees Red Sox game has been postponed. We now present Rainout Theater. It's like, oh God! Like, I mean, the words that went through my head that I never would have said because my mom would have taken every bar of ivory soap in the in the house and washed my mouth out with it, but like. Man, what a bummer! Wow, but wow. that's how much I, that's how much I love baseball. Yeah, no, I mean baseball has that that special something, especially because it's during the week. It's something that happens sometimes during the day. It is the only sport that you can really play hooky for and like you know take the day off and have it occupy the middle of the day. You know, and and then it's it's. Unlike basketball and foot, you know, football is a build-up event. You know, it, the week builds up, builds up, builds up, and then Sunday, pow, or Monday night, pow. You only got sixteen of them. Well, now seventeen. Yeah, pow. You know, you you build up to it, and then you have the explosion. And and in basketball, even though it's it's there are a lot of games, there's still gaps between right. you know. Games, but the fact that baseball is something you can rely on every, every night, day, sometimes twice a day. Yeah, it's well these days not so not, much. Not so much these days, right? Younger. Certainly when we were younger. But yeah, it it it's it's something that you could just sort of rely upon and just know that it's there and that it's like it's kind of like the heartbeat of American sports is still baseball because of the fact that it runs so long and it fills up your summer. I mean, what does the summer, what is the summer without baseball? It right. really is hard to place. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'll just catch up on my Netflix queue. Oh, well, it'll be like it was in 2020 when, you know, there were a bunch of uh, missed games and they had to do stuff in, in a bubble type thing. And just the fact that people are growing to accept summers without baseball as part of it is a sad statement of the fabric of America. And it sort of erodes something that's generational, if you get my meaning. Absolutely. And, you know, Evan made that comment about wrestling. He made, he used the term, you know, the bar has been lowered. And I think we could say the same thing for, for baseball. Yeah, it has. And I, I wonder, do you go to any Tampa Bay's Rays games or... I, I'll go to one or two a, a year, and typically if the Yankees are in town. Um, it's 
the stadium is very it's not there's no personality to it and it's very hard That's to Tropicana, right? Yes, the trop. And it's Yeah, it's, they, I've seen it on TV and it looks terrible. It is. It is and it's very hard to get to. Um and and nobody I mean, I would not be the least bit surprised if <coughs> if the Rays moved to Las Vegas. Because wow. they don't they don't support the team here. And that's I I just I thank my lucky stars that you almost had the Giants. What year was that? I remember that too. That was nineteen ninety three. Okay. I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's just because I went to what was supposedly the last Giants game. You know, the one just before they were going to go to Tampa St. Pete. Wow. And yeah, or, no. It, you know what? Now I'm thinking might have been later than that. Might have been more like about ninety seven. I'm thinking, because then right after that they got Barry Bonds. It was so. It was after they got Bonds or before? No, it was just before they got Bonds. Okay, okay. And then they that, that was like the double whammy or the triple whammy was one we kept the Giants, two we got Barry Bonds, and three we moved to uh, uh, at the time Pac Bell Park. Which the moment I walked into Pac Bell Park, I said two things, and I still say it to myself when I walk in there twenty years later. One. Why wasn't the park always in this spot? And two, why didn't it always look like this? Because I don't think you've ever had a chance to go to 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 Oracle Park or Pac Bell or AT and T. No, no, I have not. Um, but it is. It truly is one of the, the the best stadiums in not just baseball but the world. I, I absolutely adore it. It's just everything that you want in a baseball stadium. And, and that's something that I'm going to really miss if the Giants are locked out this year is just being in the park, just like you talked about, is that there's something about you can watch whatever games on TV. It's always going to be the same because you're watching it at your house. But when you get into the park, and, and, and I'm sorry to say this, but gi- the Giants are the last like affordable ticket that you can get right now. The Warriors are through the roof right now. You, the cheapest you can buy a ticket, a single seat, is like $85 for a Warriors. Crazy, yeah. And the cheapest ticket that you can get a 49ers ticket for is like 200 bucks. And so, you know, I'm not going to spend, I love my kids, but I'm not spending $1,000 to go to a football game and take my two kids there. I'm not going to spend four or $500 on a Warriors game to take my kids there. But, you know, for around 100 bucks, I can take my kids to a Giants game, which still isn't totally affordable, but at least it's something right. I can take them to. You know, when you consider parking, when you consider the tickets, you consider food, all that, it winds up being around 100 bucks. It's not something I can do every day, but at least it's something that I can do to, to, to connect with my kids and bring them an element of my childhood that... that they can still experience, but it's, you know, if that, if that becomes $200 or $300, like it is for, for 49er games and warrior games, we're just going to have to keep watching it on TV and my cable bill keeps going up. So that, who knows when that's going to finally, you know, push me to the brink, you know? And, and it just, it's sad that we have to make the choice between what we love and what can, we can afford to see. And I, it, that wasn't the case, you know, growing up, and it wasn't the case for other generations. It never was. I mean, it it it, it only has become lately, and it, it really is sad. It really is, and wrestling suffers from that too. Benny, we've had an amazing hour. Can you believe it's been an hour? Yeah, it's actually been a little bit more than that. Yeah, I know, but can you believe it just moves so fast? And baseball is one of those things, and. Um, I remember back in the day what they called the hot stove league where people would, you know, in a winter, they would do nothing but chat about baseball. They chat about their, you know, their team's chances for the, for the upcoming season. And then, you know, the biggest, remember the, the phrase, wait till next year. Like you were yeah. kind of alluding to, you know, you said when it's, when the season ended, you were hoping the next season would start so you can get it going because you knew your, your team had a chance. It's all true. It's all true. And hopefully, there will be one this season. I've really had a great time talking to you tonight on the show. And, Likewise. Uh, My pleasure. It's, 
it's great to do your show too. We'd love to have Dan on the show and go get back to wrestling. We got we got to work on that. We got to work on getting Dan on the show. We'll we'll figure out a way to make that all happen. But I really appreciate you being on the show tonight, and we will definitely have you as a guest again. But I felt today's show was really special for me to do something like this with you. And well, and I, I, you know, I, whoever listens to this, my hope is that they listen to me and know that I'm not just a one-trick pony. Same with you. You know, we're, we're a lot deeper than just wrestling. I got lots of tricks. Because Pony still has <laughs> a too. lot of tricks. I got more than wrestling and baseball, but at least I have two that people have listened to. Very good. Well, anyway, you have a great week. Um, we'll get you on the show again soon. And uh, thank you very much for being here. We'll, we'll, we'll see you, see everyone next week. Good night, right. everybody. Take care.